Hey, welcome to The Remnant. My name is Todd. If it's your first time here, I echo what AJ said. I hope you feel welcomed and loved. If I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, I'll be wandering aimlessly in the foyer on your way out. So uh, wait around or find me. I would love to say hi to you. If it is your first time and you didn't watch online last week, we're in the middle of a series called Letters to a Church. And where did that come from? A good friend of mine that goes to this church a few weeks ago, we were talking on the book. That's how the cool kids say Facebook. And um, I'm not cool. I just learned from them. And he told me, what would it be like, Todd, if you wrote a letter to the remnant? Like He just asked me good thought-provoking questions like that. And for some reason, um, that one really stood out to me. I was like, well, that's interesting. And then uh, I thought about that. And I thought about if I were to write a letter to my brothers and sisters at this church, just as someone who loved them, if I was leaving or going to be gone for a while or anything like that, what would I write? And that's kind of kind of where we're at. So these are my thoughts and what I feel like the Lord's maybe guiding me to share with you. Um, so last week we talked about the idea that God is your father. And if you got, didn't get a chance to watch it, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. It's such a crucial part of this. It's to understand that God is your father and not the kind of father that some of us have grown up having, but the kind of father that's everything we've ever wanted in a father, everything that we've ever known or dreamed of that is God, and that changes the way we view him, and it changes the way we know he views us, right? So if you haven't got a chance, go do that. But today, I want to ask you guys a question, and I need you to be honest, because listen, your tendency is going to be you're in church, and you're going to think I'm setting you up. Maybe I am, but you got to be honest, okay? This is the whole point here, and if no one raises their hand, I'm going to pretend someone does. So do you... Do you want to be special? Raise your hand if you're a person that says, you know, I'd rather stand out than whatever that cool saying is on a t-shirt. Who wants to stand out? Be honest. Yeah, you do. Who wants to be special and unique? Raise your hand. Cool. The rest of you aren't being honest yet. No, I'm just kidding. Who, who wants, who would, let's go and show the picture. This, see, that was a good cue. There it is. Look at this. Who would rather be, I was going to flip it around. Who would rather be the flower than the weeds here? Raise your hand. Who would want to stand out? You want to be, you want to be a flower, right? Yeah, of course you do. If you had to choose, most of us, we live our lives wanting to stand out, right? In fact, social media, by the way, is a complete, um, what's the word? It's an effect of that mindset. It gives everyone a platform to be special, right? It does. That's why everyone's clamoring, right? We have, we have a class of people now. Do you know there's a job called influencer? I want you to consider that for a minute. We have a job in this world that's called influencer, and we pay people thousands, millions of dollars to show you a Coke Zero and drink it on social media because they think that's going to influence you to buy it, which it does, or they wouldn't pay them, right? Everyone wants to be something special. You guys want to be different, most people. Most of you want to be special in some way. Even if you don't want to stand out, you want to be special. Here's the thing. I'm not sure that you do. I'm not sure you really want to stand out, those of you that raise your hands. And I would have raised my hand, right? No. I want to stand. What is that saying? I'd rather stand out than no one. It's on a t-shirt. Okay. Then burn. Is that what you said? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure you do. I don't think that people, most people really want to stand out. They don't. At least the way we approach our lives. I don't think people really want to stand out. Instead, I think they want to be a better class of normal. See, in that field I showed you, you don't really want to be the flower. You just want to be a taller weed. 
You want something that lets you look down on everyone else, right? If you're a tall weed, you still get to say, well, I'm a weed. I don't really stand out because someone someone's going to come pick that flower. So you understand like that, that flower, no one's going, you know what? I really want to pick that tall weed. They pick the flower. So you can stand up to the, to, to the rest of the weeds. You're still special. Look at me. I'm higher than you. But you don't have to worry about being picked, seen when you don't want to be seen, all those kinds of things. I think we want to be taller weeds. They want to be noticed but stay the same. They want to be able to blend in the crowd but still be special. And why do I say that? Because the truth means to stand out means that we're really, we're not really a part of the crowd. Listen, that flower is not a weed. It doesn't matter how many we or how many weeds are around it. It doesn't matter if all the weeds are going surrounding it and they're all going to the same place. It's not a weed. It can paint itself green, right? It can shrink, try to make itself the same height, but that flower will never be a weed. It will never truly be a part of that field in the same way that the weeds are. We're not really a part of a crowd when you're different because being different, listen, this is important, being different is only enjoyable when it comes with a claim. When I show you a picture, it's cool to be different. What a beautiful flower. It's not so much when being different has a cost. When being different has a cost, now see, here's the thing. Every Christian already says, yep, but we still do the same thing. We want to be different when it's beneficial. Our humanness struggles with being different when it has a cost. And that's understandable. I'm not going to say that. Guys, I, I have a personality that you know, probably goes against the green when I don't have to, right? Sometimes, and, and I get it. I don't like that. People think that I do. Maybe sometimes I do. But I don't like that. It can be lonely when you stand out, right? That, if you're a flower, I'm not saying I'm a flower, but if you're different than the crowd, it can be lonely. People are going to point and say, that's weird. You're different. It's understandable. It's understandable, and this is so important to everyone in this room, who calls themselves a Christian. I'm going to talk to you. If you're in the room and you're not and you're here interested, we'll talk to you later. You should still pay attention. Listen, if you call yourself a Christian, it's understandable, but it is not biblical Christianity. It is not biblical Christianity to blend in. It's not. It's not the call to follow Jesus. Jesus does not call us to blend in with the crowd. He doesn't. When you understand that and you start reading the Gospels and don't just skip to the parts that make you comfortable, remember over and over he says, count the cost. Why? Because to follow him, listen to me, inevitably will have a cost. Now, not everyone is going to die a martyr. That's the highest cost, right? But there's other costs. You can die a social death, right? You can lose friends. You can lose jobs. All of these things, it will, listen to me, and I want you to feel fear a little bit, right? Because you need him. It will have a cost. I would go so far as to say you cannot blend in and be following Jesus. You cannot be blending in and follow Jesus. Sometimes, does the crowd go the direction you're going? Sure, they did with Jesus. There were thousands that followed him for a time until you had a cost, and then the thousands winnowed themselves out, didn't they? Sometimes you'll be with the crowd, and those are good days. But there's going to be days when you look around and there's no one there. 
and you're going to see the crowd going this way, and you have a choice to make in that moment, will you follow him or will you blend in? You cannot follow Jesus and blend in, at least long term. You can't. I'm talking to myself. But that's exactly what many people try to do. They try to follow Jesus while blending in the crowd. And Christians, let me tell you what we've done. We have created a more palatable form of Christianity. Palatable means it's easy to swallow. It is. Now, I don't criticize most, you know, I'm not going to criticize, because I think if you're preaching Jesus, you're preaching Jesus, right? It says that. However, the call individually, there is not a more palatable Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the one that said to love thy neighbors as yourself, but he also is the one that said, you think I came to bring to peace, but I came to bring the sword. I will create division by my very nature. We've created a form of Christianity that's vanilla. It allows us to do that very thing, blend in. You can blend in in America and follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. But are you really following him? I'm speaking to myself. There's a temptation for me. Ready? This isn't in my notes. I could make a more popular church much quicker if I just tell you what you want to hear. Right? If I tell you that following Jesus will give you health, wealth, and wisdom, always build rows. That's tempting. I believe many Christians are doing this or following this form of vanilla Christianity not because they don't want to follow Jesus. I don't believe that. I don't believe if you're in the room today and you've been blending in. I, know, I believe you want to follow Jesus. If you have the Holy Spirit, I believe that. Let me tell you what's happening. See, you're like Peter, though. We are like Peter. We're afraid. We're afraid of what the cost is going to be. And the truth is, is it's a strange dynamic. Christianity's attention. It's going to have a cost which makes you want to be safe, but it means safe, you'll never really experience life. Not the kind of life that he's called us to. You won't. Right? Because you're changed. You're different. It's a fish out of water. You're not made for safe. We know this. We know, you know, everyone in this room that has gone to church, that's a Christian and a Christian, even those that haven't, you know the phrase, right? Light. We are the light of the world. He said that. We know that we're to shine and not hide it under a basket, right? We know that. We know Jesus said that. But instead, our light and our lives should be there, right? It should be there for everyone to see. But we're afraid. We're afraid of what that might mean. We're afraid that maybe we won't be able to have the treasures of this life then. You want a question that's going to really mess with you? What if you had to pick one or the other? What if you had to pick treasures here or treasures there? Listen to me, some of you are caught in that web and you're trying to have both and that's why life doesn't seem like it's supposed to seem. It doesn't feel like it's supposed to feel because the more you try to feel safe by getting all those treasures, the more empty you feel. Because again, it's like a fish out of water. No, it doesn't mean we can't enjoy nice things, the fruit of our labor. It just means that the fruit of our labor is not the point of our existence. And some of you are caught in that. And some of you are caught in a trap that's even more deceptive. You're like, well, I don't really like things. No, but you like the social status that comes with things. You like to know and be seen as important, right? If I have a big enough place, if I have enough money, if I have enough this, if I have enough that, then the people around me will see that I'm a taller weed. Over and over and over, 
we see people who think it's possible to always have both, right? You can do that if you have a more palatable form of Christianity. If you follow a Jesus that may not be Jesus, you can come on Sunday, wherever you go, and go home and play the game the rest of the week. You got your Jesus box and you got your life box. They're not the same. And guys, I'm, I'm, I want you to hear me. I'm not saying that to be harsh to you. I'm saying it because it's sad because you're living a half-life. I say it to myself. You know, I have a tendency, I don't really care about things. If you don't believe me, you can look at my half-crash Ford Kia out front, right? Ford Kia. I don't even know how to tell you, say cars. Kia Forte. <laughs> anyway, right? I don't, but I will be honest. I do want respect. I want people to say, hey, that guy's doing something with his life, right? That's my temptation sometimes. I'm trying to prove to myself that it made sense that I didn't become a lawyer, right? Not that there's anything wrong with that. I still think about it. But it's not always possible. And this is the thing as we go on. I need you to understand this, no matter where you are at in the room, where you are with the Lord, whatever. You cannot deny the fact that Jesus over and over and over tries to get us to understand the seriousness of our call to follow him. Words like crucify your flesh become Christianized when they mean the worst painful death a person can experience. That if you want, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will gain it. What does that mean? Right? What if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? These are all serious things that in the midst of grace and love and forgiveness and mercy and healings, and those are all true, in the midst of those, we forget why that happened. He didn't heal you for you to stay safe. He didn't heal you for you to stay blended in. He didn't forgive you so that you wouldn't tell anyone and still be able to do all the things you did before. He healed you for a purpose, and the purpose is to be what? His image bearer, to point to the glory of God. That's it. And some of you, you know, it's like a party. I had this thought or a picture once of many of us Christians. We're in a party in our Father's house right now on earth. And we come every Sunday. We're having a great time. We're eating and laughing. And it's beautiful. And there's light. And it's pretty. And five feet outside our door, people are dying. But we say, well, that's my right to party. I'm a son of the king. I'm a daughter of the king. This is, and you have that right. You, have, you are still saved, but you are not living your life the way you're supposed to. You're not. Over and over we see Jesus try to tell us something. He tells us what happens when you become reborn. I just told you, right? You are not reborn to continue to live the way you're living. You're not. So then why are you reborn? We're not the same. We never will be the same. That's why he said you are dead to sin. You are dead. You're dead. You're reborn. When you're baptized, if you've been water baptized, let me tell you what that is. It's not a swimming pool trip. It is symbolism of you dying and being reborn. Think about that. The old you's gone. Now you understand when Paul says, I've died, it's Christ who lives in me. Both were called to, to not be like the world at all. We are called to change the world. Listen, we're not called to be like the world. We're called to change the world. What's the world? That's too big, Todd. That's fine. Can you change your world? the influence around you, the atmosphere, the people you interact with. Are you different? I want to look at a section of Scripture that Jesus said. Parables, right? It's right after. 
It's the Beatitudes, right? We've heard of those. We all know them. Blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. This is all good stuff. Now, right before this section, I'll let you turn to it. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. But it's important for context. Right before Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Right before Jesus says this, very thing I'm about to read, guess what he says? He says, you're going to be persecuted. People are going to hate you. You're going to be blessed because of it. That's so weird, isn't it? There's that tension again. You're going to be persecuted, but that's a blessing. That doesn't make sense. He turns everything upside down. Right? So he says, right, my disciples will be persecuted. Then he says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. That's changing your world, right? If I take a dark room and I put one little candle in it, it changes the atmosphere of the room, doesn't it? A dark room is scarier than one with a candle, unless you have creepy horror music. We get it, right? So I'll say this again. Right after telling us that we're going to be persecuted, Jesus goes farther. He says, my disciples will be persecuted, and let me make you understand why. He says, you are the salt of the earth. What a weird thing. (laughs) Okay, Jesus, salt, that's neat. What are you talking about? If it should lose its taste, how does that happen? So let me tell you what we tend to do. We tend to skip directly to the second section. You are the light of the world. That one we understand. Light, dark, that makes more sense. And that's why he put it there. So we'll talk about that for a second. We know that we're to shine, not hide under a basket, but instead our light in our lives, our discipleship should be put out for everyone to see. Now, why is that? It's right here. I know you've read it, but let's piece it together. Why did he say be a light? It's not just so they can go, you know what? She's cool. No, it's so that she, they go, wow, she's really cool. Why? Why is she different? Why is he different? Why do they love me? Why do they forgive? Why are they generous? Why are they different? He says it, right? What does it say? That last sentence says, your light will shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You're an image bearer. Before I even go on, you want a very sobering question? How many people you have interacted with this past week have you made think, what's different about them? I wonder if it's God. Do they even know? Would they even think to say that? Talking to myself. If I wasn't preaching to you and you met me, would you walk away saying something's different about that guy? I don't know. We do this so it'll point people towards God. We want to be different. God has called us. He's changed us. We are different. We're the, we're the flower, and we want people to go, why are they a flower? We're a bunch of weeds. Why is that guy a flower? Why is she a flower? Then they might even ask you, why are you a flower? Oh, that's because of God. He changed me. I used to be a weed too. It's not our similarities to the world that will point people to Jesus. Blending in is not helping him. See, some of you have been tricked. You think be in the world, not of the world, and people use it to justify being like, hey, I'm allowed to be like everybody else because I'm pointing them to Jesus. Unless you're like Paul, preaching right there in that club, you're not being like Jesus, right? Some people are like, I'm just going to the bar and getting drunk because I'm going to be in the world but not of the world. I'm hanging out. I'm telling people about Jesus. No, you're not. You're talking about the football game that isn't happening because of COVID, right? Or whatever. 
Yes, you are to go to those places, but you are to be a flower in there. You are to be a light in dark places, right? Whatever it is. It's not our similarities to the world that will point them to Jesus. It's our difference from the world and the world's culture of self-obsession, hatred, greed, all of those things. Because let me tell you something. If you choose not to take part in a culture of self-obsession, hate, greed, stinginess, all of those things, you will not blend in. You won't. At first, people will probably clap. That's really cool. That's really cool. Until eventually they start getting mad at you because you're not hating the people they tell you to hate. Right? <laughs> I wanted to go off there, but we're on a different tangent, but I will wait. I wanted, I wanted to focus on the, I wanted to talk about the light, make it understandable, but as you guys know, this is called salt. So we're going to talk about the first part and focus on that for a second. That's a weird one. I used to skip it. Like, I get it, Jesus. Let me skip that. I'll go to light. Light's easier to understand. I want to read that part again. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. Listen, let's, let's talk about salt for a second, right? Everybody's like, yeah, I'm down for salt. Okay, it's the most excited you've been. All right, let's talk about salt. Who likes salt? I hate salt. True story. Anyway, salt, what do we know? Let me, well, let me start out with the, with the simple, the, the easiest thing. Salt is either salt or it isn't. That, that sounds simple, but it, I mean, if I take uh, sugar, it's white and tiny, that's not salt. It can look like salt, but it doesn't taste like salt. It doesn't change the place around it. It's food like salt. You're either salt or you're not, right? Can we agree? Yes? Awesome. Thank you. I need something. We can't be kind of salt, but some of us think we can be kind of Christians. You can't be kind of, we don't have kind of salt. We don't go to Walmart and say, excuse me, sir, I'm looking for kind of salt. Can I get the salt that's there when I want it to and disappears in my mouth when I don't? Right? No, that, that's irrational. We don't have kind of salt. Now do you see why I love, Jesus is so smart. He's smarter than us. We know that, right? It takes us a little while to piece this together because you're like, salt, oh, I get it, Jesus. You're like, no, you don't. Kind of salt. There is no kind of salt. We don't buy kind of salt at the store. What next? What's next? Me speak good. What's next? A little salt changes an entire meal. Especially if you're me, I hate the taste of salt. If I literally can taste salt, I'll be like, mm, too salty, right? Salt changes things. Salt changes things. A tiniest bit of salt can change an entire soup, right? I'm not a chef, but I know that much. Salt stands out because of that. Hey, I need more salt. How do you know you need more salt? You know what salt tastes like. It tastes different. It makes the food taste different. That's another thing about salt. Salt has a taste, but what's salt's purpose? It enhances. It makes it better. Now salt starts to take a little bit different. But this parable is pretty cool now. You're not kind of salty. <laughs> Some of you are. <laughs> anyway, you're not, right? You're not kind of. We don't buy kind of salt at the store. We know a little salt changes everything. We know that salt enhances the food. It enhances what it's around. It makes it better. Now let's think about this. You are the salt of the earth. You're not kind of salty because he even said that. That's what Jesus meant when he said, listen, if you lose your taste, if you're not salt, you might as well throw yourself out and be the kind of salt we step on to melt ice. I added that part. But you get the drift, right? 
It's worthless. No. You're the, you're the salt of the earth. You should be and make the earth better. You should make your environment, your circle, your workplace. Listen to me, friends, Christians in this room. The, your absence in a place should be felt. One of the most beautiful things I ever heard about a church, about what a church should be is, your church probably isn't successful, isn't really successful in a kingdom mindset, unless its absence would be noticed by the community. That's a powerful thing. Are you changing the area around you in such a way that you not being there would make people notice because it would not be what? As good. It stands out. The parable here is very, very clear, guys. Isn't it clear? Boy, I'm, go- I'm coming at it today. Salt's clear, kind of. Anyway, you cannot be half in and half out. You can't. You can't. You can't be, and listen, some of you in this room, listen, I don't say this a lot. As you know, despite what people think, you wouldn't believe how many people get mad at me because they think I'm preaching right at them when instead they should be going and talking to the Holy Spirit because he's preaching right at you. But in this room today, there are people that need to hear what I'm about to say because your life shows it. You think that you can be half in or half out depending on your environment. I'll be a little pepper when I'm over here and I'll be salt when I'm here. Not the way it works. You know another reason you can know that if it's hitting you? Because you're mad at me right now. If you're in the room and you're mad at me a little bit, that's the Holy Spirit. That's okay. Take it up with him. I didn't write the book. You can't be half different and half not. It's one or the other. Now, before we stop, let me, let me stop because this isn't in my notes, but it's important for you to know. That, that's not a perfectionism thing. Notice I didn't say you're perfect. I didn't even say it's about your good actions. I said about following Jesus. You can't be half in or half out. We already know you're going to fail. We already know you're going to mess up. Paul himself, Paul saw Jesus, spoke of Jesus, healed people, crazy things. And Paul said, I still struggle with sin every day. That's different. Key word is struggle with. Some of you are accepting the fact that you would rather be a tall weed in a field than be a flower. You don't want to be salt because you know it has a cost. Something inside of you knows. Some of you don't. The cost is really simple. You just don't want to be looked at as the weird guy. Well, I don't want to be a Bible thumper. What if it was the cancer fixer? Would you go around telling everybody you had the cure to cancer if you had it? I bet you would. You have something even more important and more powerful. Jesus himself says, don't be afraid of the person who can kill you and can't do anything after. Be afraid of the one who, when you die, can kill you again, right? Hell? It's one or the other. So what does it mean to be salt? I know there's lists people here. I've got two lists for you. I'm on it, Alyssa. Two lists. Yeah. Thanks you. Yeah, all right. You don't even have a pen out, but thank you. All right. Two lists. One, what does it mean to be salt? This is going to be really simple, but it's important for you to hear. It means to love radically. Guys, we're in a time right now, I wasn't going to go here. Ernie probably knew I was going, but I'm going to go anyway. We're in a time right now where there are Christians out there twisting the word of God to tell you that love is actually hate. They are telling you that love is being violent and destroying things and hurting people in the name of love. You can paint love whatever, you can paint hate whatever you want. We already know what love is, you ready? Love is patient, love is kind, love does not delight in evil, right? 
Love keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus would not be burning down buildings. I'm sorry, he wouldn't. And you can understand a pain that someone's going through and say that the way they're acting out of it isn't okay. And I don't get upset at them. I get upset at the Christians that are twisting the word of God to justify hate. When Jesus himself, at any moment, you remember, Peter cuts an ear off. Jesus looked at him and said, you don't think I could call down a legion of angels right now to take care of this if I wanted? Have you even been listening to me? It means to love radically, even if people are telling you that isn't love. There are a lot of people that are all about Jesus until his love says you can't do what you want to do. And then it's not love anymore. It means to stand for truth. I already spoke on it. What is truth? Truth is the Bible. It is. See, some of you in this room, you've been with me, you're with me, but you're not because I know you. And you sometimes don't like truth. Because, for instance, I can read something out of the Bible and you want to punch me in the face. Right? Again, I didn't write it. I bet if it was God up here, not him clearly, you wouldn't, maybe you would want to punch him in the face. I guess we did crucify him. It means to stand up for truth with love. Truth is not hate. Let's look at the other side of it. Truth is not hating people or saying that, you know, disenfranchised people aren't really feeling things. To say people aren't feeling fear. To say that that's not love either. It means to stand for truth. It means to, this one's big. I struggle with this one probably in some ways. Certain things, right? My standard. It means to forgive recklessly. So did you know those Christians that don't like, maybe you're one of them. If so, you can talk to me after, but I love you. We don't like the song Reckless Love because you say God's not reckless, right? Well, you're not understanding the other meaning of the word reckless. It means willing to do something, not caring about the cost to myself. Oof. Not reckless as in not in control. Let me say this again. There's a reckless that's like, I'm letting go of the wheel. I'm not in control. Whatever happens, happens. And the reckless that says, I'm going to tackle that 300-pound guy even if it hurts me, Right? I'm going to jump on that grenade even though it hurts me to save my friends. That's reckless. So to forgive recklessly is the same thought. It means to forgive knowing that it's probably going to cause you some pain. That sometimes to forgive means letting go. Right? Forgiveness doesn't mean forget. Forgiveness means releasing the other person from having to owe you. Why? Jesus already told you. Because you've been forgiven much. He who's forgiven much forgives much. It means to give generously. This is a big one in the church today. Don't you tell me what to do with my money. I'm not. I'm just telling you Jesus says, the Bible says to give generously. And, this is a big one, cheerfully. Some of you give generously, but you sure don't give cheerfully. (laughs) Right? Or the other way around, right? You might give cheerfully. Here's my nickel when you're a millionaire, right? A nickel might be a lot for some people. The only person that really knows that's you and God. Just be honest with yourself. It means to give generously. It means to trust God even when the world seems crazy. You know, the crazier the world gets, the more tempting it's going to be to blend in. The Bible tells us that a time is coming, maybe in our lifetime, may not, I don't know, but a time is coming when we will face persecution far more than you, far more than I might lose friends. That it might be like our brothers and sisters in China who are put in prison. Our brothers and sisters in Middle Eastern countries who will be killed for proclaiming the name of Jesus. That's where we finally understand what do you believe. 
Do you believe this? Do you believe this isn't it? That if you're blessed to have 90, 100, 120 years, that that's not it? Right? You guys have heard that analogy. Francis Chan said it. I've said it before. It's Francis, you know, if I had a rope from here to here, this life is this much. Eternity is wall to wall. It means to trust God. It means to follow, and in my notes I have this capitalized, follow Jesus. Sometimes we think following Jesus just means sit down and go, oh, there's Jesus. I wonder what he's doing. Probably something really good. I'll, come, I'll catch him when he comes back through. Right? That's what we can do. You want to be his disciple? It means you follow him. And you know, a lot of times I was just having a talk with a friend the other day, and he said that someone he loves dearly, you know, I've had actually several people. I've had a lot of people lately said, I don't know what God's asking me to do. God's not telling me what to do. And I said, yes, he is. He's telling you to love God. He's telling you to love your neighbor as yourself. He's telling you to give generously. He's telling you, right? You want him to give you another job when you're not even focused on the one he's already given you? It means to follow Jesus, the Jesus of the Gospels, not the easy-to-swallow version. Why do you think, some of you need to go read the Gospels, why do you think they killed him? We killed him. We didn't want the truth. We didn't want the truth. We didn't want to think that we're not God. We didn't want to listen to his way. We didn't want to put our faith in him. We didn't want to change ourselves. We didn't want to be told that we're sinful and destined to hell without him. We didn't want to be told that we're not good. We didn't want to be told that. We would rather be told a lie than be told the truth and healed. And we still deal with that today. It's a very scary time, in my opinion, and maybe I'm a prisoner of the moment, but I'm a modern person. I think it's almost scary here in some ways. You know, Christianity in America, it's becoming a little, like true biblical Christianity is becoming a little harder to follow. It is, but we're still, it's pretty popular, right? You got your athletes thanking God. Hey, I want to thank my Lord Jesus Christ. All these things, that's all good. I'm not saying, I'm not doubting them. I'm just saying it's, it seems easy to follow right now. And sometimes that's harder because sometimes the crowd, even though the, the crowd says they're following Jesus. But if everybody's headed the same way, Guys, I'm telling you, it's a big clue they're not following Jesus. So, that was list one. That was decent, right? That's only your first list. Some of you are like, darn it. Yeah, I got another one for you. I got to tell you, you know, I told you, um, well, I don't remember what I told you, but you know what I told you. Oh, yeah, how do you, what does it mean to be salt? Yeah, that's what I told you. Well, then how do we lose our salt? Well, first off, let me come back. One other thing on that. What does it mean to be salt? You ready? Did you know that you were empowered to do those things? In Acts 1.8, it tells us something pretty crazy. But you, who's you, you think? Yeah, nice job, Norman. You guys, too. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. To do what? To be my witnesses. What does it say here in Salt of the Earth? That you may, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven, that you would be witnesses... You are empowered to be salt. You have to choose to not be. Oof. Isn't that wild? That even after being transformed, he allows you the freedom to choose to pretend to be something else. He did it to Peter, didn't he? I'll never leave you, Lord. He goes, yeah, you will. 
right, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to leave me. So how do we lose our saltiness? Well, you guys are empowered. I think you get that. You're empowered to live out of that. You're empowered to be different. So how do we lose our saltiness? Our taste, okay? How do we lose our saltiness? One, this is a simple. I only got three things for you. When we soften truth. You stop being salty when you stop changing the place around you. When you start softening truth. What does that mean? It's the buts. Let me, let me give you a big one here in church that makes a lot of people mad at the remnant. If you're a visitor, I'm sorry, because I'm going to say this and people get mad. You should go to church. Did, did you know that? And are you ready? In the crowd, the remnant people, not the guests. You guys know you come more than the members do? I'm not even kidding you. These members, literally, in this church, I love you, you brothers and sisters, but you know who you are. We're not talking. It's coming, you're going to be like, Todd, there was a virus going around. I understand. But I'm t- we've been around seven years now. I'm talking about all the other years. All right? Here's the thing. It's truth to tell you that you need to go to church. You know the first thing on emotion your mouth? But. But my tummy hurts. But I don't want to. But, 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 but. But God loves me anyway. That's the best one. Hey, you need to go to church. But God loves me anyway. I never said he didn't. I said to go to church. My identity's in Christ. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm missing the thing here. Right? That's just an easy one because it's not as big and we're all guilty of. Like, listen, don't lie to yourself. If you're a person making a habit, Scripture said, isn't that cool? The Bible knows that sometimes we're not going to make it. We get it. Things happen. Do not make a habit of not meeting together as is the habit of some. That's just an easy one. And so if you're a person here and you're visiting, I hope you come back. But if not, find a church. Go to church anywhere that preaches Jesus. Anyway, don't soften truth. It could be anything else. Um, Todd, don't you tell me I'm supposed to give cheerfully and generously. Don't you do it. Nobody touches my money. I don't want your money. Honestly, Todd, some of you guys, I come and tell you a biblical truth, and you say that, I want to take your wad of money and burn it in front of you because I don't care. Like, Todd himself, I have a fleshly tendency. I'm going to be real with you. If you're the person that comes to me and I'm like, may I have five, you know, I don't know, I need help, and you hold it over me or you throw, I will never in my life ask you for help again. That's just, that's terrible. I'm not saying you should be that way. But that is my fleshly tendency. But that's another example, right? But, but, but. You know, here at the remnant, I never even tell you a percentage because tithe is an Old Testament principle. Jesus himself would have probably, if I'm really honest, I can't tell you guys this. I, don't, I just try to start you at baby steps. Jesus probably would have been like, 10%, is that all? That's what he probably would have said. But I don't say that because I believe what you're, you know, God's going to work in you, the Holy Spirit, to give what you're called to get. But I say those two things because those are two big, two big things that people get grumpy about. You get grumpier about that than if I'd be like, hey, man, you shouldn't be walking down the street naked, drunk. That's not okay. You're like, you're right. Quit softening truth. Quit standing for the truth of the things that come easy to you and get mad at the things you don't, that don't come easy to you. All right? Softening truth means also ignoring truth. Ignoring the truth because the crowd tells you that truth isn't truth. Now, this is getting kind of deep and wordy. If I tell you a tree's not a tree, will you believe me? This is about to get deep. Zach, you're a big guy. Mouth. What? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I got to quit doing this. Then the guests are never going to come back. Stop. Listen. <laughs> listen. Listen to me. Listen to me. If I tell you that a tree's not a tree, will you believe me? No. What if one million people tell you a tree's not a tree? Will you believe them? See, you say that, but you know they've done tests on that before? The power of the crowd, 
What will you do when the crowd says truth is not truth? It's happening now. Number two, I got to move, man. I'm gonna, Corey's going to be mad his first week back. When we compromise, right? How do we lose our saltiness when we compromise? That's different than, than even softening truth. Compromising is making excuses. Well, I don't have to love this person. Or you change the definition of love. I'm loving them by not punching them in the mouth. Right? Like that's you loving them. Listen, some of you are like, mm, that is love. You agreed sometimes. But that don't, you can't be content to stay there, right? Loving people, I don't, I don't have to do that. Really, love is patient, love is kind. Well, the Lord's working on my patience. That doesn't mean he expects you to ignore it for the next 20 years. Forgiving people. They really hurt me. This is one that I really I wrestle with because like, I understand that. Some of you have been hurt in ways that I can't fathom, like horrible ways when you're innocent. And it's hard to think of what forgiving someone means in that case because, see, sometimes the church accidentally lies to you and tells you that forgiving means forgetting. It, it actually doesn't. That wouldn't be forgiveness. That would be insanity. You want to know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is saying, I know that happened. I release you from having to punish me, and I know my Father will bring me justice. Right? Either by changing their hearts or giving them justice. That's truth. It's releasing control. That's weird. I put it on here again. Going to church. Anyway, compromise. I must have skipped a step. <clears throat> when we attack other beliefs, number three, when we attack, this is an interesting one. How do we lose our saltiness? So we talk about kind of changing truth, compromising, and then we go a step further. Then it happens when we attack other believers for not conforming. See, this is a weird thing about the mob, too. It starts with, everybody listen, right? And then you kind of change the people you can, and then you make everyone, hey, let's attack those, those flowers that aren't becoming weeds. Let's chop them up. We don't want any flowers among us. That's hateful, right? Love is hate. Hate is love. Truth is lies. Lies are truth. When we attack other believers, you don't believe in Jesus because you, think we, you don't think it's okay to burn down buildings. I had people tell me that. I'm not lying to you. I know Christian leaders in churches who made that argument to me. That Jesus would condone that. And that if I didn't agree, I'm not loving the people that are hurting. That, do you see the insanity in that? We can't compromise. We lose our saltiness. We start blending in when we do that. Let's see that picture again. Listen, let me ask you a question. Are you salty or are you tasteless? Listen, how do, how, well, Todd, how do I know? Would anybody know that you're salt? Would anybody in your life know that you're different? Are you really a flower? Or have you disguised and camouflaged yourself enough that no one even really questions it anymore? Now notice I said camouflage. You're still a flower. He's still going to take you home. You're just not doing what you're meant to do. Isn't that a beautiful thing about grace that even when we reject him, he never rejects us. Wow. Even when we lie and say, I'm not with him like Peter, I'm not with him because it might cost us our life. He says, well, he's with me. Still. Are you salty or tasteless? Do you pick and choose when to show your light or to hide your light? Basket on, basket off. When I'm at church, it's on. By the way, we don't, I mean, yeah, I want you to be nice, but I'd rather you show it out there. If you're going to pick and choose, Right? They need it. That's a basket. Do you pick and choose when to show your light or to hide it? 
Are you blending in? My friends, listen to me. In your pursuit of happiness, are you compromising truth? What about your closest friends and family? Did you know sometimes they can push you to compromise? I just told you that Jesus said that I've come to bring the sword. I will turn. I didn't tell you the rest. Father against son. Mother against daughter. That doesn't mean we should try to fight our families, right? But it means that there'll come a time when they're going to try, when that's going to create division, that to follow them means we may not go the way of our, our family. Jesus himself did that. See, early on, his family said, we know him. That, that he's not anything, right? And Jesus said, they're like, hey, your family's out here. They want you to stop. He said, that's not my family, right? This is my family. My family is those who do the will of my father. If I removed you from your life, would anybody notice? If I took you out of your workplace, your family, I mean, would it, would it, of course they would notice, you matter, but would it, would it, would it take the uh, taste down or would it stay the same or even worse, would it be better? We are to be salt. You cannot be kind of salt. She's going to come up here and play some music and uh, the stream will actually end after this. So if you guys want prayer, we call this time altar time. It's a chance for you to pray, to get prayer. There's people here that'll pray with you. Listen, guys, there's power in prayer. It's a real thing, okay? And we want to make sure that we cut the stream because that's a private moment with you and God. You don't need people to do it, but they're here for you. you can, this is holy ground, right? In the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies is where the presence of God was. That's here now because of Jesus. He tore the veil. He's here right now today. Isn't that surreal? I want to tell you something. If you're in the room and you're like, Todd, I, I don't know Jesus. Well, then then you should be concerned. Because in blending in the crowd, you see, Jesus gives another parable, and I'm going to simplify it, but he says, I'm going to use flowers, but he says, there's going to come a time when I'm going to come in the field, and I'm going to separate. I'm going to chop it all down, and I'm going to separate the weeds and the flowers. I'm going to put the weeds in the, in the house, and I'm going to throw the, flower, I mean, the, the, the flowers in the house, and I'm going to throw the weeds in the fire. That's what he says. It doesn't matter what you believe. I've used this many times and it's true, it's simple. If I get on this building and I say, I believe I'm gonna fly and I flap my wings real hard, I'm still gonna hit the ground because I don't make the rules. The creator does. So how do you become salt? How do you become transformed, reborn? How does that happen? Well, here's the gospel. The gospel is also called the good news because it is good news. Here's the bad news, we are dead. In our sins, the Bible says. Well, Todd, what do you mean? All those bad things. You may tell yourself you're a good person sometimes, but you know those things that keep you up at night that you've done? Those things have separated you from your creator. See, a long time ago, God made everything, and he made it perfect, and he made us in it, and he said, you're going to be my image bearers. You're going to be walking statues of my glory that people will look at and be pointed to me. You can have all of this. You rule it in my name. And I'm going to walk with you and be in relationship with you because that's what you were made to be, right? It's like a key in a keyhole. That's the way it was made to be. He said one thing, and I'm going to simplify it. He said, let me be the one to tell you what right and wrong is. I am God, you are not. And we said, nah, I, we want to know what right and wrong is. I'll tell you what right and wrong is, God. And because of that rejection of God, we have been separated from our creator and an infection has come inside of us. This infection is called sin. It's a nature, meaning it's in us, and it's all the actions that come out of that. All those mistakes you make, your hate, your sin, your lust, your lies, those things you're afraid of admitting that you've done alone in the dark, all of those things have separated us from God. 
And the thousands of years of human existence have shown us what happens when the creation goes from the Father. When it goes away from the Creator, guess what happens? We end up where we're at, a mess. Now the beauty of this is God said, oh, you think you can save yourselves? We're very hard-hearted, aren't we? He said, can you do 10 things? Can you do even just these 10 things? And the point of that was to show us our need, that it's Him, not our good actions that save us. We were separated and we had no way to go home. There was no bridge to cover the gap. And God came down in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, his son, right? God, Jesus, his son, Jesus of Nazareth existed. And he said he is the son of God. So, as C.S. Lewis puts it, he is a liar, a lunatic, or he is who he said he was. And if he is who he said he was, and he is, then everything he said matters, and it should matter to you. And he showed us how to live life in the kingdom, how to be salt, and here's the crazy thing. He told us how to be salt, and then he made us salt. How did he do that? On the cross, an incredible thing happened. He took the punishment for those dark things you're ashamed of, for those mistakes and the sin and the brokenness and the hurt. He took it on himself. They killed him, and on that cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the Father turned his back on the Son. The side of all that sin, he turned his back on. And he, he died. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. No, that's ridiculous. Over 500 people saw him. It's factual, okay? He existed. And when he rose from the dead, he defeated death so that you never have to really die. Just transition. So the Bible says this. How do I have that? It says that the only way to the Father, to God, is through the Son. It says if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. A bunch of fancy words to say you tell Jesus you believe him. You turn away from your sin. You say, God, I know I've messed up. I can't fix myself. I trust you. I don't get it all, but I believe it. And when you do that, you will be saved. No one can ever take it away, even yourself. Even when you run and you hide, he will always find you. So if you're in here today and you can't say for certainty, if Lord forbid a bus were to hit you on the way out, that you would be in the presence of God, do not leave today without having that assurance. Don't leave here the same as you came in because if you do, you are choosing to.